We're going to be receiving the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, and I hope that uh, you are preparing your heart and engaging the Lord in such a way that you can do that in a way that is uh, pleasing to Him. We are in a series of talks that are trying to discern how is it that God wants us to live in time. As you know, He's eternal, and because we're not, because we're finite and He's infinite, we have a little bit of uh, challenge understanding or fully comprehending what infinity is with, with no beginning, no end. And yet He creates this little parenthesis in eternity called time. And He has brought life into us so that we can live in time and connect with Him in certain ways in time so that later when time is no more, we are with Him forever in eternity. So are you living in time well? Are you doing that with Him? Is your life being fashioned and formed and shaped in time so that you can be with Him when time is no more? That's what we've been doing. And today we're we're talking about the understanding of time. That there are in fact signs related to time. That Jesus says we can read, we can discern, and we can begin to understand some things about what's going on in time. Several years ago, uh, my wife awakened me at four in the morning. And she said, I think it's time. I'm a very intelligent person. And I knew exactly what she meant. Four in the morning, I knew what she meant. Of course, she was also nine months pregnant. And we've been anticipating time that delivery would take place. And so I immediately, I don't always immediately jump out at four in the morning, but I immediately leaped out of the bed and we got dressed and we ran down to the car and we headed off to the hospital. And in 45 minutes, our second son was born. So she was right. (laughs) You have to know the signs of the times. And so, uh, you know... You look out and see a little sunshine on a May day and some budding of trees and other shrubs and plants. And you start to read that sign. And don't be fooled, it is not spring here. <laughs> Won't be till the 4th of July, okay? So you got to know how to read these signs around here. So it is Jesus that said... And I want you to know what the signs of the times are. And he brought that up in the last week of his life. Now, we've been focusing on the last week of Jesus' life in this series. And we discovered after he entered the city of Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, he immediately went to the temple, and we began to discover and to discern with a new sense of clarity how important holiness and purity are to Christ. So important, he cleaned house that day in the temple because it had been profaned. And then we discovered he went over to an area to worship where others were worshiping with their offerings. And there he watched a widow worship God with her offerings and he was moved and stirred. And he began to highlight for his disciples the importance of worshiping God with trust. That we don't trust in money, that we don't trust in stuff, or we don't trust in anything else but God. Like this widow. 
So if you're going to live in time well, you're going to want to do that with Christ, in holiness, trusting Him first and above everything else, and today, seeing how He is at work in culture and around the world. Now, we're going to be making reference to uh, Jesus' words about this in Luke's Gospel, the 21st chapter. I encourage you to open your Bible and look at that with me in Luke chapter 21. And again, he's in the temple. He just got moved by the widow, worshiping the way that she did. Now he's moved over to another little area and some people have gathered around him. And he has begun to teach them about signs of the times. And then he says in verse 29, he told them this parable, look. You see that fig tree and all the trees? When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, what things? The things that took place in the verses that precede this passage. The things that precede this book of the New Testament with Old Testament prophecies and messages and revelations that God had been bringing through the ages, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now Jesus said in this text, And in the verses preceding it, there are certain things that are taking place in our culture, in our world. And when you see those kinds of things happening, get it. Understand. Some preordained, pre-seen things by God are about to take place. Count on it, because my word will never go away. What I'm telling you, you can always count on it. This is going to happen. This is the way it will transpire. Now, this is not new. This is something that has happened through all the ages. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and even secularists like the king of Egypt began to discern, there's something going on in a world that's beyond me, and he could tell that there was a man of God that could read the signs of the times, and so he got Joseph out of the jail cell, brought him into the palace and said, tell me what is going on. And because Joseph could discern things of God, he said, this is what's uh, happening. Here's how you need to respond. And that godless king heeded words from God and did what was necessary and, and should have happened in his day. The same thing happened generations later when a guy by the name of Daniel is summoned by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar knows something's going on all around me. I need a man of God that can help me understand these signs. And Daniel came in and explained it to him. And he was able to respond accordingly, at least for a season. And then sometime later, the Persian king, leader of the entire civilized world at that point, Artaxerxes, began to receive counsel from a guy by the name of Nehemiah. 
and was so moved by things that he was hearing, he financed a trip for Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city with Persian funds. There's a deal. So this kind of thing has always taken place, where God is at work and people of God can see and discern what God is up to and respond accordingly. What's God doing in our world today? What's going on in our culture? When you see the news, how do you discern it? What's God want you to understand? How does He want you to respond? A few years ago, Billy Graham was honored by our country with the Medal of Freedom. President Bill Clinton had you know the ceremony, brought him into the White House, and bestowed this great honor on him. And then Billy Graham is given the opportunity to address not only all those that are present, but our entire country. And he takes that, Billy Graham takes that moment of honor for himself. And instead of just giving some kind of politically correct thank you, says to the President of the United States, as well as to all the people therein, the greatest nation in history stands on the brink of self-destruction. Here's a man that can read the signs of the times. This is at a time when America is the most powerful country in the world, the most prosperous country in the world. And somebody like Billy Graham takes that occasion to say, and it's also on the brink of self-destruction. You go, well, Scott, it's been a few years since Clinton was in office and that honor was bestowed. Again, don't think just like you're in time. Because for Christ, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. It's just been a wink and a blink for the things that are going on with God right now. Since Billy Graham uttered these words that I think are absolutely correct. So... Some of you are familiar with an author and writer by the name of Philip Yancey. And he gave some of this commentary on this subject. He said, our religious roots run so deep that the United States has been described as a nation with the soul of a church. The Mayflower Compacts specified the pilgrim's goal as, quote, undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, end quote. Mayflower Compact. Later, as the colonies broke away from England, Alexander Hamilton proposed a Christian constitutional society in order to promote the Christian religion within government. And although the founders disconnected the functions of church and state, all of them affirmed the role of religion in making a democracy work. Nancy continues, That Christian consensus was maintained well into the 20th century. Now, if you're under 30 years of age, that may sound incomprehensible to you. 
1931, the Supreme Court declared, 1931, Supreme Court said, we are a Christian people, according to one another, the equal right of religious freedom and acknowledging with reverence the duty of obedience to the will of God. Justice William O. Douglas wrote in 1952, We are a religious people whose institutions presuppose a supreme being. End quote. In 1954, Chief Justice Earl Warren, who was not conservative by any means, said in a speech, I believe no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding geniuses. End quote. Charters for the original colonies all pointed to the same objective, a Christian land governed by Christian principles. End quote. This beginning to sound pretty alien to you? What country are we talking about? Even now... Congress and the military employ chaplains. By no means has this Christian consensus, Yancey points out, resulted in a utopia. Having grown up in the South, I know that African Americans as a group do not look back with nostalgia on the Eisenhower era, nor do they yearn for the godly days of our early history. Catholics, too, have a different perspective on the Protestant consensus in America. They had to listen to Protestant versions of the Bibles in school and sing Protestant hymns and pray Protestant prayers and put up with anti-Catholic passages and textbooks, etc. However, the spillover effect of a Christian consensus has brought a lot of great benefits to the United States. We live amid daily reminders of our Christian heritage. Americans say, have a nice day to strangers. Return lost wallets intact. Stop to help stranded motorists. Give billions of dollars to charity. Show many other gestures of kindness and mercy. And these habits of the heart, Yancey says, reflect a national culture that grew from Christian roots. Only someone who travels extensively overseas can appreciate the fact that not all cultures include such grace notes. I'm almost through. Yancey says, it seems incredible that the words under God were added to the Pledge of Allegiance in just 1954. In God We Trust became the nation's official motto in 1956. Courts now are establishing a right to die, redefining marriage, protecting pornography. The moral landscape has changed. Every year, the church in the United States draws closer and closer to the situation faced by the New Testament church, an embattled minority living in a pluralistic pagan society. I think Billy Graham and Philip Yancey see the signs of the times. This nation that we love and that we live in is in trouble. We are in trouble because we are edging God out.
So, what is God doing? I just want to say briefly two things. One, God is doing what He has always done, and that is He's creating a remnant for Himself. There have always been multitudes of the curious, of those who have... uh, you know, been interested in the things of God or the person of Christ and, and the miraculous and the spectacular that can happen all around that. I mean, uh, check out the time that Jesus feeds the multitudes and he's got thousands literally walking with him until he tells them, here's what it means to follow me. It's going to cost you your very blood. It's going to cost you your life. Well, all of a sudden, everybody vanished. But a handful of disciples. He's always been about creating a remnant and that remnant's happening today. It's just not very spectacular. The remnant aren't celebrity Christians, the well-known, the popular. They are men and women, young people, who are building their life in totality upon Christ. That's who they are. Around here, we refer to that as being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. A fully devoted follower of Jesus. Someone who is learning how to communicate with God. Learning not only how to talk to the Lord, but how to hear from the Lord. Learning how to discern God's leadings in your life so that You base your decisions upon what God is prompting in your heart. Who you're going to marry. What you will study in school. What kind of vocation you'll invest the years of your life in. Up to even what neighborhood in which you'll live. That all these have God purposes and and designs behind them. And the fully devoted followers always checking in about that. Always pursuing the person and the plans of God. Learning how to love deeply and live in community with other believers. Learning how to have significant and meaningful relationships with those who are outside the community of faith. So that their life becomes a bridge for these friends to be able to come to Christ. God's always been about building into those kinds of people. And He's doing that today. And He's doing that with some of you. What else is God doing? Well, God's going to judge America. See, in the very last days of Jesus' life, He says, you've got to understand the times. And we must live with a daily awareness of the fact that our country, we love it, we're committed to it, we, we counted a good gift, but it's edging God out, and it soon will take on the history of Europe. Now, you, you remember what happened in Jerusalem. Uh, within 40 years after Jesus uttered these words, Jerusalem was absolutely sacked, and the temple, the glorious temple that had taken 48 years to construct, was absolutely leveled. Marble walls, gold inlay, all this kind of, absolutely leveled. And Israel did not even exist as a nation 
outlined on any map for 1900 plus years. It wasn't until 1948 that the United Nations took a pencil and a map and put Israel back into the Middle East. But after that happened, the movement of God didn't cease. It just went over to Europe. Rome became the new central city of the faith, and it became like a wildfire spreading the gospel across Europe. But Europe did the same thing we're doing now. They began to edge God out. And all these magnificent cathedrals and, and places of, of gathering for worship are now empty museum reminders of what were. Friends, that is our near future. As we continue to edge God out and secularize. Now, that doesn't mean that the gospel's over. The gospel is spreading like wildfire right now in Asia, in Africa, across India. We're just edging him out here. And so what we need to understand is that God is building in to the lives of fully devoted followers a remnant so that we can stand with Him and withstand any of the societal and cultural scenarios that will be played out in the near future. Because, secondly, He is going to judge. Billy Graham said it this way, if He does not judge America, He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He will judge. So, what now? What do we do with what I've just said? Let me just make a few brief suggestions. The first is this. Please don't just dismiss. I don't like what you're saying. Forget it. Please don't just dismiss it. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying let's make a little, you know, cult type thing here and we'll uh, build a little building out the backside and be Branch Davidians and we'll have our own little thing going. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just saying. He's building a remnant. Let's be people of God. Let's have full devotion to Christ. Let's understand that what we have today is not going to always be the way it is. Economies collapse. Diseases are incurable. Terrorism continues to expand. Piracy has reared its head again. Power grabs continue to happen nation to nation. Technology gives more people the button for the bomb. Okay, I'm not trying to be a doom and gloom. I'm just saying don't dismiss and don't live in denial about what is. Don't just close your eyes and pretend like we never had this conversation today. And third, don't trust in the temporal. Some of you have already found out you can't trust in your retirement plans, right? They just got decimated. You can't trust in money. You can't trust in government. You can't trust in uh, your own abilities and your health. Abilities and health leave. You can only trust in God. Don't trust in the temporal. Do discern what's happening. See the news. 
Watch the events across our country and around the globe and understand what's happening. Do persevere. This isn't a time to tuck tail and whine and cry and, and cower. This is a time to be a man of God. This is a time to be a woman of God. To be a people of God. Persevere. Stand in such a day, and the darker it gets, the more brilliant the light of your life becomes. Do prepare. And I'm not talking about get a gun and, you know, load up your pantry and all that. You know, it probably would do well to have preparations for an earthquake or a volcano or, you know, these kinds of things that can happen in our part of the country. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about prepare in terms of I'm building a life in time that will be able to supersede time and go on for eternity with God. I'm building a relationship with the Eternal One. I'm allowing Him to form in me and transform me all that He destined and dreamed. Be prepared. And cheer up. We know how the story ends. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the victor. God will, at some point, usher His remnant into a promise of being in His presence. That we call heaven. But cheer up. Now, I wonder if you're at a point in our conversation today that you can get it sufficiently that you'd be willing to join me in a confession. So I have a confession that I think articulates what many of us need and want to say to God at this point. As you begin to see it, if it doesn't ring true to your own heart, then just stay quiet. But if these words give expression to your own heart, then I invite you to join me in this confession. And then we will move to the Lord's table for the Lord's Supper. Say this with me. God, forgive us for thinking that you are like us. Forgive us for making idols out of things and people. Forgive us for calling evil good and good evil. Forgive us for distractions and boredom regarding your mission. God, seize us, save us, deliver us, transform us, create in us a clean heart a clear mind, and committed hands that worship You. You are the great and mighty God. There is none other like You. You and You alone have the allegiance of our lives. Amen and amen.